We uh, who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and those who acknowledge him as their Savior, we have assembled here at this time in, a, in accordance with his command or request to do this in remembrance of him. Now, uh, we've been told, uh, I believe it's in the uh, Word of Redemption, that uh, this service bridges the time from the res resurrection of Christ to his, com his coming again. And, that's, uh, and it shows salvation is obtained by his death and resurrection but it depends upon his return for the full realization of it. Now, before we get started, I would like to have uh, the song. It's in, in Sad Gethsemane, but it's number 163 in the new book. Now, I have always felt that this service or at this service, we should devote our time to talking, reading, and above all, to think of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> In our mind's eye, let us see him as he was promised in the Garden of Eden. Let us see him as uh, Abraham saw his day and rejoiced. And let us see him in the household of Joseph and Mary when he was a child and when he grew to young manhood. And that is exactly in line with uh, our beloved uh, 53rd chapter of Isaiah which we put so much stress on and which we love so well. And in the second verse it, it tells us that he shall grow up as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form of comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. And who was the we? There was no beauty that the Jews saw in him. And he came, grew up as a dry root out of a dry ground, and the Jews were about dried up at that time. And then we could see him as... He performed his approximately three years of service, uh, ministry, so to speak, in the performing of his miracles and the teaching of his apostles and the uh, good that he went about doing. <clears throat> then, as the song tells us, we see him in sad Gethsemane. See him deserted by his apostles and taken hold of a betrayed, cruelly betrayed and taken hold of by cruel and rough hands and shunted about from there across the valley to the other side of town where the house of Caiaphas was and interviewed by Caiaphas and Annas and then to the Sanhedrin and then to uh, Pilate and Pilate sent him to Herod and Herod sent him back to Pilate, where he was condemned to death. And all this time, he was suffered all the indignities 
and even obscenities. And uh, he was spat upon and mocked. And yet he took it all uh, without a word. And again, Isaiah tells us in his seventh verse of the 53rd chapter, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before shares is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. <clears throat> and in that third verse, note how true it was. Uh, and I might mention here too that, uh, as we all know, in places of the Bible, where Christ is referred to, generally so anyway, uh, there is a symbol to indicate that this verse refers to Christ. And generally it's a star. And in every verse, in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, it is followed by the symbol of a star. So the entire chapter refers to Christ. I am told that the Jews refused to read this chapter and also the 22nd chapter of Psalms and the 45th chapter of Psalms. And in that second verse, he is despised and re rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Now wasn't he just that way? We, didn't the Jews despise him and they, they esteemed him not? And in the fourth verse, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And uh, then we see him crucified on the cross, and we see him taken from the cross by more tender hands, those of uh, Joseph and Nicodemus, and taken to the tomb of Joseph, and placed in the tomb among others, many of them who, had, who were Jews who had uh, mistreated him. And again we are reminded of the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And in the ninth verse he says he was taken, no, uh, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he has done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Uh, and let's uh, consider that 11th verse while we're down there. He, he, he shall see the travail of his life and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear thy, their iniquities. And I don't want to overlook the 5th verse and 6th verses because I remember so well before I knew God's truth and before God's truth had been revealed unto me, I remember uh, ministers quoting that or reading that fifth verse. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we're healed. And in the uh, sixth verse, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. And while we're in the uh, 53rd chapter of Isaiah, there's a little brighter picture there. Uh, in the 10th verse, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. 
when thou shalt make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And then we see him in his glorious resurrection. Uh, and 40 days later, his ascension to the right hand of God, where he now is making intercession for us. And in that connection, there's a few scriptures I would like to examine. In, the, in, in Romans 8, 34, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Now, he is at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. And in Hebrews 7:25, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the truth, but unto heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. That's not the one that I meant to read. I meant to read it, but the one I had in mind. Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. So, he is at the right hand of God, making intercession for us, not seated on the throne of David, as we shall discuss a little later. Uh, and in the in 1 John 2, 1, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And we all know 1 Timothy 2.5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So, he is our mediator. He is our advocate. He is making intercession for us. And I believe the only verse we overlooked in the uh, 53rd chapter of Isaiah was that last verse. And uh, it Isaiah prophesied that he would do this very thing. And these prophecies of Isaiah were many hundred years, about seven or eight hundred years before Christ came into the world. And in that uh, note how Isaiah prophesied uh, uh, Christ to make intercession for us in this last and twelfth verse of the 53rd chapter, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his life blood unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. <coughs> uh, <coughs> then let us see him in a still more beautiful role. Let us see him in the future, coming in power and great glory, as uh, portrayed to us by uh, Matthew, Matthew 24:30 and Mark 13:26. Uh, and this time, he's coming to rule the world in righteousness and rule the world as king forever and ever. Again, let us turn to the uh, book of Isaiah. I believe that Isaiah prophesies more about Christ than any other of the prophets. Uh, and in his uh, uh, famous uh, blessed uh, ninth chapter, let us examine verses 2, 6, and 7. 
And in, in, uh, in verse 2, he says, uh, They that live in darkness, or they that walk in darkness, have seen a great light. Even those that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them has the light shine. And that verse is indicated by the symbol of a star, meaning referring to Christ. Then those sixth and seventh verses, which we love so well. Uh, Isaiah says in that sixth verse, he, uh, he says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now who is the Prince of Peace? This is indicated by a star too. This is, this is our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, but he never has uh, been in that role. He is now at the right hand of the Savior making intercession for us, but he shall be the Prince of Peace. And yet we have our government still striving so mightily to bring about peace on earth and goodwill to man, and the United Nations. And well do I remember uh, Brother Dunaway, uh, and this was with reference to the League of Nations that uh, some of you folks don't remember so much about as some of the us older ones. And I remember Brother Dunaway waving a piece of paper and he said the Charter of the League of Nations and the U United Nations is not worth the paper it is written on. And that has proved to be so true. <clears throat> uh, then in that seventh, seventh verse, that's a glorious promise of the increase of his government that about to leave out something wonderful of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever isn't that a glorious promise and that's talking about Jesus that's talking about our Savior that's talking about the one whom we have gathered here to commemorate his death, burial, and re resurrection here this day. And I like to, uh, I always like to uh, visualize the conditions of Isaiah 11th, the 11th chapter. Uh, that is talking about Jesus too, and those verses up through the fifth verse are symbolized by stars. Uh, and uh, if I had been preparing it, I think that the verses 6, 7, 8, and 9 should be symbolized by a star because they're still talking about Jesus. But let us examine the promises, uh, the government that will be upon his shoulder, and the way he will manage it, and the righteousness and equity. Uh, to begin with, he says, I shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now, we, we all accept that as uh, speaking of Christ, and it is, it is uh, symbolized by the star. And it goes on in the next two verses uh, and uh, uh, describes uh, his qualifications for this, uh, uh, this uh, role as king and righteous judge over all the years. Uh, and uh, it says, uh, 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 the third verse says, uh, and shall make him of quick understanding in the, in the fear or love of the Lord. And he shall not judge as to the sight of his eyes, neither reprove as to the hearing of his ears. 
Now, how do we judge this day and time? Uh, uh, isn't that exactly the way we judge? After the sight of our, sight of our eyes and the hearing of our ears? And uh, then it goes on to say, But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Now, that's a glorious promise if we think about it, that under his rule and reign, everything will be administered in exact, uh, equitable, and righteous order. That's a glorious promise because we can scarcely conceive that because we don't understand that. We don't have that. In the Department of Justice building in Washington, great, massive building, uh, on a ledge, uh, uh, a smooth edge of the marble there, are these words, carved in that marble. Equal justice under law. But we don't have equal justice under law. And we're not going to have equal justice under law until he comes whose who's right it is. <laughs> and... Uh, that second verse, and the spirit of Lord, the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. That's, he's going to have all of those qualifications. And you have quick understanding, which means, uh, to par paraphrase it a little, he, he will have thorough understanding. <coughs> he, will, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> he will have clear understanding. Uh, there will be no problem in deciding the equitable course of action to take. And uh, in the fifth verse he says, and, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. And uh, let's pursue those other uh, uh, few verses that are glorious promise in that ninth verse. And in fact, I think it's all a wonderful promise. If we could just visualize the condition that shall exist under his righteous rule. Uh, in the sixth verse he says, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf, and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. I, I'd like to introduce this. Uh, was written by one of our, uh, a member of the Conway Ecclesia. Uh, and uh, uh, I think it's right good. I might, if we have time, I might give you all of it. Uh, and, and it's based on Isaiah. Uh, for the lamb... For the lion and the lamb shall dwell together, and shall be led by a little child. And uh, for even the birth don't, and shall be led by a little child. And there'll be nothing hurt in all the while. So that's a beautiful verse, because under this uh, these verses that we are promised here, and we'll get to it in a few moments. Let's go on to the uh, seventh verse. And the cow and the bear shall feed, and the young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. Believest thou this? I do. Uh, and then in the uh, eighth verse, uh, the sucking child shall play on the hole of the ass, and the winged child shall, shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. Now here is a glorious promise. Uh, they shall not hurt nor destroy. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Generally, we go on to the latter portion of that verse and take that, and it is wonderful. But the fact that they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, or they shall not hurt nor destroy in all the earth, 
for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a glorious promise. Uh, uh, and that tenth verse, it also uh, has a symbol of a star. Uh, but it seems to be not as clear as the previous verses we've read. He says, In that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Uh, uh, you know, the uh, Isaiah and all the prophets sometimes, they go abruptly to another subject. So the first ten verses of the 11th chapter of Isaiah are devoted to Christ and his righteous rule, and then the remaining verses through the 16th verse are uh, devoted to the regathering of the Jews back to Palestine. Uh, uh, in connection with uh, uh, the throne of David and Christ ruling on the throne of David. Now that's not only mentioned in the Old Testament, but let us turn to uh, Luke in his first chapter and beginning with the uh, 31st verse. And we find there, we find the uh, uh, angel Gabriel in conversation with uh, Mary. And he says, uh, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bring forth a son, and shall, thou shalt call his name Jesus. And uh, note this 32nd verse. Uh, he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. For the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David and he shall rule reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end and it seems to me like that that is clear language as, as we can find and when is he going to do this now I've been told that the second coming of Christ is mentioned over 300 times in the New Testament and I believe it and uh uh, we find in the 25th chapter of Matthew and beginning with the 31st verse uh, this promise uh, this indication of when this will be it says when the son of man shall come in his glory and all his holy angels with him then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory uh, and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats and then shall the king say to those on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for thee from the foundation of, of the world. Well, that's a promise that it's going to take place when he comes. Everything predicated upon when he comes, when he returns. In uh, 2 Timothy 4, 1, we find these words. Paul says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So that's the time that he will judge the living and the dead is at his return. That's the time that he'll take over David's throne is when he returns. That's the time we'll have judgment upon the earth is, is when he, he returns. Uh, let me uh, pursue that just a little farther. And in the 8th uh, verse of that 2nd chapter of 
uh, fourth chapter of Second Timothy. Uh, Paul says, uh, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me. When? At that day. And what day? And not to me only, but to all them also that love his appearing. It's based upon his appearing, based upon his return, based upon his return uh, to the earth. Uh, now, I would like to uh, uh, consider for a moment. Uh, let us go, uh, well, let's go back to Isaiah first uh, in the seventh chapter and the fourteenth verse. Uh, where he says, uh, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Uh, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Uh, now this uh, is another prophet, uh, prophecy of Isaiah. And we find that prophecy confirmed in the first chapter of Matthew, uh, where he, uh, we find this time, we find the angel of the Lord in, con uh, in the uh, first chapter of Luke where we have already discussed that, that is designated as the angel Gabriel talking to Mary. This angel is designated as the angel of the Lord and he's in conversation with Joseph. And he, and he says, uh, uh, reassuring Joseph of the situation. And uh, he says, uh, she shall bring forth a son, and thou, now you, Joseph, shall call his name Jesus. And Jesus, meaning Savior, shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now that's exactly what he did in his first advent, his first reign upon earth. He saved his people from their sins. Uh, then he goes on to say, now all this, was done that it might be fulfilled that was spoken of the prophet uh, that uh, a virgin should conceive and bring forth a son and they should call his name Emmanuel uh, which being interpreted means or is God with us so when he is seated on David's throne ruling the world in righteousness it may truly be said that God's manifestation is with us and we can truly shout uh, the name of Emmanuel to the whole world uh, <clears throat> uh, Paul styles this uh, service as the uh, new and living way and I like to think of it as a new and living way uh, not the old way it's a new and living way. And uh, let us consider the 10th chapter of Hebrews, uh, beginning with the uh, 19th, 19th verse, uh, where, where, we, where it starts off as having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God. Now, since we have a high priest over the house of God, 
He says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of our faith, having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful of promise. Now, if there's going to be, if there's going to be uh, anybody unfaithful or anybody to waver, it's not going to be him. The wavering will be on our part. And he goes on and says, let us consider one another. To, lo- <clears throat> to love and to good works, uh, uh, to let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more so, as you see the day approaching. For if you sin willfully after that you have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin. There is no more sacrifice to make, because Christ has made the sacrifice for us. And he is a living sacrifice. Christ is, a, is our living sacrifice. And, and we have a high priest, and Christ is that high priest. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of our faith, having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And in this service, I like to uh, consider what Paul said in 11th chapter 1 Corinthians. Uh, he admonished them as to the proper way <coughs> <Excuse me. coughs> of conducting this service. And uh, he told them that it should not be a revelry, it should not be a drinking party, it should not be a place to satisfy <coughs> bodily hunger. And beginning with that uh, 23rd verse, he says, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread and blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to, to them, and said, said, This is my body which is broken to you. This do in remembrance of me. Now note that. And, and, and Paul quoting Jesus' words here. He says, This do in remembrance of me with respect to both the bread and the cup. And he says, In like manner also, after he had supped, he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it <coughs> and, and he took the cup and gave it to them saying, This cup is a New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now both, with respect to the bread and with respect to the wine, he says, Do this in remembrance of me. As far as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now I would like to, uh, after uh, hearing the song in Sad Gethsemane, that always impresses me. Uh, I think it does you. I think it does us all. We think of the suffering. Uh, it puts us in a mood to really to remember our Lord. Uh, I want to give you this little uh, verse uh, which was further with respect to his suffering. 
and what he did for us will put us in the right mood, the proper mood, or tender mood uh, toward our Savior and uh, toward this service. Uh, it has to do with a, a pilgrim, so to speak, or me, so to speak, or you, uh, in conversation with the Lord. He says, Lord, <clears throat> this road is too rough for me, dear Lord. These stones, they hurt me so. You know, the road does get pretty rough for us sometimes. These stones, they hurt me so. And he said, my child, I understand. I traveled it long ago. But I can see a smooth Broadway. Let me walk on it for a while. No, child, he gently answered me, on the Broadway you cannot climb. My burden is far too great. How can I bear it so? My child, he said, I remember its weight. I carried my cross, you know. But I said I wish there were friends with me who would make my path their own. Oh, yes, said he. Gethsemane was hard to face alone. And so I climbed this stony path, content at last to know that where my master had not gone, I would not need to go. <clears throat> and strangely then, I found new friends. The burden grew less sore as I remembered that long ago he walked that way before. As we know, all of the uh, Gospels except John give an account of the institution of the Lord's Supper. 26th chapter of Matthew and the uh, uh, 22nd chapter of Luke, 14th chapter of Mark, they give an account of the institution of the Lord's Supper. And of course, as we've already stated in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he gives an account of the institution of the Lord's Supper. Uh, in Matthew 26, 26, uh, we find these words. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take eat. This is my body. Now I would like to ask uh, Brother C.W. Stevens to come around and give thanks for the, the bread. Now, <clears throat> at the close of this service, I should like to add these words from the 8th uh, chapter of Romans, the 28th verse. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, that he might be, con 
to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestinated, he also called. Them he also called. And who, whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And in the 11th chapter of Matthew, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and, laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and ye shall find rest unto your lives. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light.